Amen. And what a certain hope we have. Isn't it glorious? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that, that song of victory. And we thank you that we have victory in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we are thankful that because of that victory, victory on the cross, we're able to even be here tonight to gather in your name, worshiping you and praising you. We praise you for who you are, God, above all things. The God is so generous to us and gracious and merciful. You're kind, you're compassionate, you're long-suffering. You're patient with us, Lord, and you love us, and we love you. Thank you for meeting with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good evening, family, and Happy New Year. Brother Harry, thank you for sharing a good word on Sunday. Much appreciated. God's people well cared for. If you open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22, we're going to continue on in this chapter, verses 15 through 28. The title tonight is A Picture of What's to Come, and we're going to look at uh, the life of King Ahab, his life of rebellion, and, and how that all flowed forward to what would ultimately lead to his death. And we're going to, pick, we're going to take that picture and, and move it forward uh, to what we're going to see in days yet to come. So, 1 Kings 22. Last time we, we met in this passage, we saw King Jehoshaphat. He was introduced on the scene. He was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jehoshaphat was considered to be a good king, not a perfect king, but a good king. King Ahab, on the other hand, the king of the northern Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, he was an evil king. And King Ahab approached King Jehoshaphat, and he said, listen, let's, let's combine our armies together. Ahab had a small army. Jehoshaphat had a very large army, and Ahab said, let's combine them together because I need to go to war against the Syrians. And the aim would be to take back the city of Ramoth-Gilead. Certainly Ahab knew he couldn't do it on his own, but, but with Jehoshaphat's help, he felt like he was a victor. Surprisingly, you know, as a good king partnering with this evil king, Jehoshaphat agreed and then he realized later that, well, you know, I hadn't heard from the Lord on this. And we see this in verse 5, Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, who is Ahab, inquire, I pray thee, at or for the word of the Lord today. Well, Ahab agreed. Got to seek the Lord. So in order to appease Jehoshaphat, he called together, well, what he considered to be prophets. See, he gathered together 400 prophets who were nothing more than hired prophets by Ahab. And as hired prophets, we know as a hired prophet, they're false prophets. They were not established by God. And they would tell Ahab exactly what he wanted to hear. And their answer, of course, they said this in verse 6, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth? Ramoth Gilead to battle, or should I forbear? And they said, go for it, go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king, you the king. Well, it didn't sit quite right with Jehoshaphat. So he asked, isn't there, isn't there a prophet of the Lord? Isn't there just one perhaps uh, rather than these 400, these hired hands? And Ahab said, well, there is one. 
And we, we talked about him a little bit last week. His name, Micaiah. And Ahab said, but I hate him. I hate him. He never gives me good news. In other words, he never tells me what I want to hear. Well, Ahab never sought truth. And, of course, Micaiah would bring truth. And truth and lies don't match, do they? They don't align themselves. Well, Ahab reluctantly agreed, and they sent a messenger for Micaiah, and the messenger said, now, be sure to give a word that will make Ahab happy. Can't, you know, just for this, this one time, say something that will please this king. You may not agree with it, but say something to please him. But Ahab, remember, he, he took a stand, and we talked last time about us as Christians, we need to take a stand for truth and what's right. And, and Micaiah said in verse 14, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he's not going to submit to the pressures of popular opinion or society or even the wicked king. He said, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord and I'm going to share with you what the Lord would have me to share. So he came to the king, and this is in verse 15, and he's got to understand this. He's bringing this forth in a very, very sarcastic way. And he said, so he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And Micaiah answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Evidently, Micaiah is mocking the voice of the 400 prophets. And it's kind of like a sanctified sarcasm here. You don't want to hear the truth. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear only what you want to hear, so fine. You know, kind of a passive-aggressive thing. You just go and do what you want because you won't listen to me anyway. Well, in verse 16, King Ahab said to him, How many times shall I adjure thee? And the word adjure means make you swear that thou shalt tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord. Well, apparently Micaiah did this often. Because the king said, how many times will I, shall I make you swear to tell me the truth in the name of the Lord? And he recognized here that this man, Micaiah, is a true prophet of God, and he speaks for God. So it's a confession of sorts on the part of Ahab, and yes, we know that Micaiah is a real deal. Now he gets down to business, Micaiah does. Sarcasm's over, and he begins to describe how this battle is going to go in verse 17. And he, the prophet Micaiah, said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. So God is saying to Ahab through the prophet, You as a leader or shepherd of this nation, you're going to die before this battle is over. And the soldiers that you lead into battle they're going to retreat to head back home on their own without a leader. And the king, verse 18, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? Well, there's Ahab the victim, right? Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you before that he would only say evil things about me? And you know, sometimes people can make themselves a victim in any circumstance. I knew Micaiah would do this to me. He's always been this way. Now Micaiah speaks. Let's read verses 19 through, or right through 28. And he, the prophet, said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. 
I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will bring a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, that's the four hundred, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, the son of Kenaiah, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way went the spirit of the Lord for me to speak to you? In other words, why isn't he speaking to me? Why is he speaking to you, Micaiah? And Micaiah said, behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou go into an inner chamber and hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and carry him back to Ammon, the, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. He said, Listen up. So Micaiah stood for the truth. Where did he end up? In prison. And we talked about that at length last week. You know, as Christians, we, we do face persecution, perhaps not like that, not at this time, but we face persecution. Jesus said it would happen. But, you know, especially in verses 22 and 23, I'm going to read those again. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith, and he said, this is he speaking to the Spirit, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. Now the question comes up. Now, did, did God deceive? Talking about lying spirits here, well, the, the very clear answer is no. God cannot deceive, and God cannot lie. Micaiah told Ahab to listen to the Lord. And what we see here is that God permitted Satan by the prophets to deceive Ahab into his demise. It was God's sovereign will that Ahab would fall at Ramoth Gilead. In the lying prophets, they went forth and told Ahab, well, you're guaranteed a victory. But God knew differently. It was a lie from the father of lies, but by divine permission. You know, when you think about the life of Job, you know, the, the, the Satan had God's permission to persecute Job. And without that permission, it wouldn't have happened. So we see here this divine permission that God has given. And you know, God is never, ever at a loss on how to accomplish his purposes. You know, we can't second guess God. God, you shouldn't have done that. No, we can't second guess him. His ways are not our ways. And because we serve a perfect God, we, we must realize that his ways are perfect. And he does not need to consult with angels. He doesn't need to consult with any creature or any of us about the methods he chooses to take. He's not the author of sin or the cause of man to lie. These are malicious lying spirit, spirits they go forth continually to steal, to kill, and destroy. And in this case, put lies in the mouth of the prophets. 
But they cannot do what they do without divine permission. Again, Job 12, 16 says, with, with him, the Lord is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. They're the Lord's. So this revelation that Micaiah received made it clear that God was going to be instrumental in the destruction of Ahab. So the 400 prophets spoke with the lying spirits to deceive in order to lead Ahab to disaster and death. And all the while, Micaiah spoke the truth. God is truth. God is truth. He never created evil. He never created the demonic realm. The demonic realm came into being when some portion of of the angels of heaven, one-third of them, they fell with Lucifer in his rebellion against the Lord and became fallen angels or demons. Revelation 12, verses 3 and 4 says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, speaking of Satan, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail, the dragon's tail, Satan's tail, is this picture here, drew a third part of the stars of heaven, the stars of heaven being angels, and did cast them to the earth. Now, when Lucifer rebelled, he brought a lot of company with him. And he didn't force them. They willingly followed after him. They chose to honor Lucifer's rebellion against God rather than honor God. And God, in his perfection, he did not create rebellion. He didn't create evil or Lucifer in that way. Lucifer wasn't forced to fall. It was a pride-filled decision on his part. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, tells us about this. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Lucifer, a a heavenly angelic being, the, the, the worship leader in heaven. But pride got to him. Pride can get to any of us. I have to struggle with that. I deal with that in many, many ways in my life. And God says that's one of the seven deadly sins, and we see this here in the Scriptures with Lucifer. He said, Lucifer, O son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, God knows the heart, right? He said, you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And God says, no, you won't. He says, you're going to be brought down to hell because of your choice. Well, you know, thinking about Lucifer, this, this incredibly beautiful angel in heaven, makes me think about the devil's ability to deceive. These, these angels were ministering, you know, the whole host of heaven, Lucifer and even the one-third that would eventually follow him, that whole host of heaven were ministering in the very presence of God. They aren't where we are now. They were ministering ministering in the presence of God around his holy throne. You can't get much closer than the throne of God. You know, we sing about the throne of God, and of course, we do it by faith. 
You know, we, we understand through the scriptures that, yes, God is seated on the throne. And one, one day we're going to be in heaven surrounding that throne, worshiping and praising him. And these angelic beings, we're all there seeing God in all of his glory, which we don't see yet. They're seeing God in all of his wisdom, all of his power, all of his attributes being revealed to them. Everything that God possessed, they experienced far more than we have as they personally stood before the throne of God. Yet, Lucifer, when his pride began to well up and he saw these angelic beings worshiping God on the throne, he said, I want that. And he began to demand worship. And God says, no. And he convinced a third of the the angels to follow him. I mean, this this is a perfect worship environment there. It doesn't get any better than that. And a third of these angels were deceived and followed after him. How subtle and seductive is that? No wonder God warned, and he, he said he, he, the devil wanders the earth as a roaring lion seeking whom he, he may devour. And his tactics are no different. He's a deceiver, and he's a liar. He doesn't come at us with a, a sharp teeth and a loud growl. No, he, he's subtle, he's crafty, he's convi- conniving and convincing. Well, what do we do? Family, we need the word of God. The word of God will keep us straight. When something enters into your, your own physical realm or spiritual realm or mental realm, and you begin to question, what is this? Where is this coming from? Have you ever done it? Where is this coming from? Open up the Word of God and read the Word of God. Because God holds all the answers. We cannot stray from God's Word. We need our Bibles and we need to use them. Because if we try to take on the devil on our own, we're in for a big surprise and a big problem. In terms of pure creation, the devil is greater than anyone in this room, but not greater than who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. That's what my Bible says, and I believe it to be true. But we never want to try to take him on alone apart from God's word. Why do you think at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the devil came against him? After he was baptized, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And of course, he was led out to the wilderness for 40 days. The devil came against him three times in three different ways. And each and every time, Jesus responded by using the word of God. The word of God is the safe way, isn't it? The word of God is the right way. If Jesus used the word of God, don't you think we need the word of God? We sure do. We must know it. We must use it against the devil's lies and his deception. And when he tries to bring you to question your salvation or to discourage you, cling to the word of God. If if you've received Christ in your heart, you belong to him. Have any of you ever doubted your salvation since you've come to Christ? You know, when the enemy comes your way and he starts whispering things in your ear? Yeah, I I think maybe most of us have. But you know what? If God says you belong to him, you belong to him. And no one can pluck you out of his hand. Cling to the word of God. You know, the devil is a master discourager. 
But God is the one who holds all the promises. The devil holds none. God holds them all. He holds all the promises. And you know what? He holds you and I too. He holds us right here in his, in his right hand, the place of prominence, the place of honor. The Lord declared to this spirit in 1 Kings 22, you go forward with this because this man Ahab is a man that doesn't want any contact with my truth. That's a dangerous place to be. One of the problems with reject, rejecting God's truth is all you're left with are lies. You reject the truth, you embrace lies. Take anything that God says in his word on, on how we as Christians are to live. You know, how we are to behave ourselves, how we're to conduct ourselves, how we're to cling to God's statutes of morality, and certainly how to be saved and to believe anything different than what his word says is to believe a lie. Because if it stands against God's word, it is a lie. So when a person is unwilling to believe the truth, then all you have left to believe in is what's left, and it's all lies. And that person has then set themselves up to follow the lies that are brought into contact with them. That's Ahab. That's what Ahab did. He, he rejected God's truth, and God warned him over and over. Remember, we talked about God's grace being poured out on Ahab time and time again. And what did Ahab do? Nothing. He didn't change course at all. He just continued in his evil ways. He continued in his sin. He didn't want anything to do with God. And you know, family, we, we see it all around us today, don't we? Don't you see it, it growing in leaps and bounds, evil waxing worse and worse, hatred, wars and rumors of wars? It's everywhere. And what we just shared about Ahab, I believe, is a preview of what's to come. It's getting worse, as I said, and it's going to continue to get worse on this earth following the rapture of the church. Jesus is coming back. He's coming in the clouds, and we will meet him in the air. He's taking us up and away to heaven. But you need to belong to Jesus. Those that don't believe, what's going to happen? Left behind. They're going to remain on this earth. And they're going to go through a period of time called the Great Tribulation that as, as we, the little we know about it, and it's plenty to know, we, even if we know a little bit, we know it's bad. We don't want to be here. And I'm so thankful that God has, has not given us a spirit of fear. You, we don't have to be afraid of the great tribulation if we belong to Jesus. The scriptures say comfort one another with these words. Those are words of comfort that Jesus is coming back for his church and we will not face the tribulation period. In Paul's address to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, here's what he said. And this is after, after the rapture of the church. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power 
signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The church has been removed. And with the church, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit in the church is removed also. Do you realize that that you, as part of the, the body of Christ, You are a restraining force because of the Holy Spirit of God within you, a restraining force against the evil in this world. What is it that drives out darkness? Light. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He also said, you are the light of the world. So we are part of the restraining force, the restraining force team, so to speak, in this world against the powers of darkness. But when the church is taken up, It'll open up the door for the free reign of the powers of Satan throughout the earth. It's a reign of deception. It's a reign of filth, as if the world's sewer had just split open. The floodgates of lawlessness, iniquity, cruelty, and horror are going to open up wide. And, you know, we see it these days, don't we? But this family, this is just the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said. This is like a glimpse of what's to come. Satan will come up front and center. Well, how is he going to do this? There will be one who will step up with prominence here on the earth. It will be like Satan clothed in flesh. It will be the Antichrist. Satan incarnate that will receive the power of Satan. Verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. This one called Antichrist, this man of sin, called the son of perdition, will be brilliant intellectually, persuasive, powerful, influential. Revelation 13, verse 2 says, And the dragon, speaking of Satan, will give him, the Antichrist, his power his seat in great authority. And the world will marvel at him. Revelation 13, 4 says, The world will worship the beast. Yikes. Talk about a deception. Revelation 13, 8 says, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, where are all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life at this point in Revelation? They're in heaven. From Revelation chapter 4 on, the church isn't mentioned in the Bible anymore because we're in heaven. So these things will be taking, uh, taking place on this earth after we are taken up. Now, he's called the beast, not because of his appearance, but because of his character. You see, he's the second person of the unholy trinity. God has a holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Satan, a great imitator. He has an unholy trinity, the dragon who is Satan, the beast who is the Antichrist, and the false prophet who Revelation 13, 12 describes like this. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast or the Antichrist before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. He's like, you know, the Holy Spirit of God points us to Jesus, right? 
Well, this false prophet points the earth at that time in, in Revelation, points them to who? To worship the beast. And the Antichrist will rise to power, and his political platform is going to be peace. World peace. Everybody wants peace, right? The world will gladly receive him that will finally bring peace to earth. And of course, it's a false peace. Daniel 8, 23 speaks of Antichrist. And in the latter time of their kingdom, certain earthly kings, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, the Antichrist, and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. Fierce countenance means that no one is going to be able to stand against him. Understanding dark sentences means he will be practicing the occult. Of course he would. He's of the devil. Daniel 8, 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not his own power, because it's Satan's power, and he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. In Daniel 8, 25, and through his policy also he shall cause craft or cunning to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace. Now, isn't this interesting? By peace he shall destroy many. By peace, he shall destroy many. Well, of course, it's a false peace. Again, family, Satan's an imitator. And he will clothe the Antichrist and characterize him as the Prince of Peace. He will broker a peace treaty with Israel. And Israel will at last say, our Messiah has come. Now think about what's taking place in the Middle East right now. You know, we're not there yet in terms of what's going to be taking place. But you can see the elements all coming together, can't you? You know, it's incredible war taking place like it hasn't been seen in decades in Israel. And they're, fa- they're fighting battles on several fronts right now. But the key players aren't there yet. You know, Russia hasn't come down from the north. The U.S. is involved, but Israel will have no help in Ezekiel 38. So it's not the time. However, we can see that the the picture is being painted for what's to come and what we can expect. Jesus spoke of this in John 5, 43. He said, I'm come in my Father's name. And he was speaking to the Jews. You receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Well, who is that other, another that will come? Well, it's the Antichrist. During the first half of the tribulation, Antichrist will expedite the, the completion of the rebuilding of the temple. And as soon as it's done, guess who's going to move in? Antichrist. He'll move in and say, you want to worship Messiah? Well, I'm him. He'll demand to be worshiped. And then he will turn on God's people with fury and with wrath. This time is described in the scriptures a couple of ways. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. It's also described by Jesus in Matthew 24, 21. He said, for then shall be great tribulation. You see, Satan has the power to work miracles. 
2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And you know, many people would never admit to believing a lie of Satan. But people have been believing his lies since the Garden of Eden. And they continue, of course, even till today. But in that time, the great tribulation, after people have heard and have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will believe the lies. Because that's all that will be left. Truth will be gone. 2 Thessalonians 2.11, For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. It's going to be a horrifying time to come. Hell will be on display on earth. There's coming a time after the church is taken up and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God in the church is removed and hell is going to celebrate. The Holy Spirit will stand back and he'll extend Satan's leash that's been pretty short up until that time and he will rule the earth through his Antichrist, this beast, this man of sin, this son of perdition or destruction. So during that time, Satan will come forth front and center through the Antichrist. There's another thing I want to mention too. During this time, man will be miserable. Again, 2 Thessalonians 11, 2, 8, 11 and 12, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice he says, for this cause. Well, what cause? That they did not receive the love of the truth. The truth was not in them. They refused to believe it. So God will send them, those that are still on earth, strong delusion that they should believe the lie. What is the lie? That they ought to follow the Antichrist. They've rejected Jesus Christ. They might as well follow the Antichrist, right? That, that's what they're going to be forced to do. I'm so thankful our Savior doesn't force us. He invites us. But the Antichrist will force worship. They took pleasure in their sin and sought their sin rather than truth. And you know, family, when the Antichrist comes, he's going to turn the world into a prison. And the inhabitants of this world will be at the inmates. And he will number them People will willingly receive the mark of the beast. They won't be able to buy and sell without it. He puts his mark on them. And you know, we see preparations for this now. You know, scriptures tell us in the forehead or the right hand. But we see preparations, don't we? I mean, there's, there's things called chip implants. You know, start out in the pet world. You can track Fido wherever he is. If you lose him, somebody can find him for you. It's taking place in human beings for sure. You know, many, many countries in the world are now talking about smart cards, and I'm thankful we don't have them yet. They contain huge amounts of personal data and information. You know, things like retinal scans, that's a real technology, facial recognition, it's a real thing. Fingerprint security, if you have an iPhone that requires your fingerprint, it's all part of the technology. So it's easy to see how the mark of the beast will be gladly and easily received. You know, even now today, people are nodding their heads in agreement. You know, these are all great things. You know, facial recognition, it's all secure. No more credit cards, no more cash, no more of this or that. 
can't lose anything. Everything will be in you or on you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. And God's saying, no, that's not good. Because people are being, they're being conditioned. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, Satan's very, very patient, isn't he? It's happening slowly over time. Technology gets developed, electronics get developed, AI, now the new buzzword, right? Everything's AI, everything's AI. I read an article today. This, this article is written by AI. Bye-bye. At least they identified it. Is it really intelligence? <laughs> it's, a, it's a worthy question to ask. So, yeah, people are being conditioned. And for certain, whatever means that this, this mark of the beast is, is used, whatever it's chosen to use, this mark, it, it's going to contain tracking devices or tracking the ability to track people wherever they are. There's, there's going to be no hiding. Listen, there's no hiding today, is there? If you carry a cell phone, law says it has to be traceable by, by GPS. It has to be. You cannot buy one without. I don't know how many years it's been in existence. Now, probably 10 years now. You cannot buy it. Cars, now they all have GPS tracking. So there's no escaping this. Tracked, monitored. It's all here. The entire earth will be a time of terror upon mankind because Satan will be in charge. And he is, a, is all about hatred. It'll be such a horrible time on planet earth that Revelation 9.6 says this. And in those days... And here's how much pain there's going to be in suffering. In those days, men shall seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. It'll be so bad that a man will just want to die in order to escape it, but it's gonna, they're going to be unable. There's no escaping. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus is saying there, you haven't seen anything yet. Because that time is going to be like no other in human history. Now, we can't end it here. Because the scriptures always provide hope. Always provide hope. It brings us to the third point. The glory of Jesus will be revealed. And in this passage in 2 Thessalonians, understand Paul isn't writing to threaten people, but to comfort people and to give them hope. He will shine ever so brightly, Jesus will, against the, the black backdrop of what will take place on earth. Again, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, and then shall the wicked be revealed, speaking of Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I'd, I'd like to be able to visualize that. Destroying with the brightness of his coming. He's going to destroy the Antichrist. Jesus, family, is the victor. 
Jesus has always been the victor, and Jesus will always be the victor. He shall consume the man of sin with the spirit of his mouth, speaks of a sharp two-edged sword with which he shall smite the nations. Revelation 19, 15 says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He will destroy with the brightness of his coming his majesty, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God that's referenced in the Old Testament. And Jesus is coming again to reign. He's coming to reign, to rule and reign with what? This is a rod of iron. Remember what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2. He said that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Because back then, there was a lot of false teachings going on. And they were saying, well, the rapture's already taken place. And Paul says, no. It has not taken place. Be not shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter. There was false letters going out nor by letter from us, is that the day of the Lord is at hand. He said, I'm going to tell you the truth of what's taking place, in which he shared in that passage we just studied. We're being told what will happen. And for the believer, you know, as, as hard as this is, and we just touched on Revelation just a little bit, but for the believer, it's good news. He's telling us to get ready. And he's saying, be ready. It'll be wonderful for the redeemed when Jesus returns. He's going to be glorified. Jesus will be magnified. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when, and when he comes. And in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. We'll all be admiring him. And it's going to be a glorious day. When Jesus came the first time, he stood before Pilate. And when he comes again, Pilate's going to stand before him. The first time Jesus wore a crown of thorns upon his head. And when he returns, he's going to wear a crown of royalty as the king of kings and lord of lords. The first time that Jesus came, he rode upon a donkey. When he comes again, he's going to ride a white stallion. When Jesus came the first time, he went to the cross where he bled and died. And when he comes again, he will be enthroned. The first time he came to redeem, the second time he came to gather us together unto him. This wonderful gathering together, the rapture of the church. So to summarize this, here's what's going to happen. And it's all in the scriptures. The rapture of the church will, will take place. The church will be taken up, and along with that, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit of God against the evil. The Antichrist, after the church is gone, and you know, there's many that don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I believe it with all my heart that Jesus is going to take his bride home and protect his bride. 
What good husband would leave his bride to be going through destruction? And not only that, you know, if, if we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, then who are we looking for? Hey, we're looking for Jesus to come. If you believe in the mid-trib or post-tribulation rapture, who are you looking for? You're looking around corners. You're, you're looking for the Antichrist, right? I'm going to be looking for Jesus. We need to look for Jesus because he is coming back. So this Antichrist will be revealed and come on the earthly scene, and yes, he will broker a false peace plan with the nation of Israel. And during that time, the temple will be finished and rebuilt. And when it's complete, he's going to sit on the throne of the temple and demand to be worshipped as God. And Jesus referred to that as the abomination of desolation or the abomination that brings desolation, which means the last half of the tribulation period, the great tribulation, what we've been talking about tonight. Of course, that will usher the great tribulation period, God's wrath poured out on the unbelieving world, judging man, judging Israel. Israel at that time will learn they've been deceived, you know, refuse to worship the beast, and Satan's fury will be poured out upon God's people. And then the, the armies of Antichrist and the armies of the world will, will gather together once again for a final assault against Israel and God's people. Revelation 16, 16 says, and he gathered the kings together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Jezreel Valley called the most perfect battlefield in the world. That's where they're going to meet. The armies of the world, the armies of Antichrist, will wage war against God. And when Antichrist thinks he is one, the heavens will open up and every eye will see Jesus returning with his bride, that's us, to make war. And the Bible says the Lord shall consume him with the spirit of his mouth in the brightness of his coming. Now think about the weaponry that exists in the world today. You know, it is far more technical that I can't even imagine. They can do stuff with, with missiles and rockets and all this stuff that were virtually impossible years ago. I mean, with precision and with power. So the Antichrist will possess all the latest military technology, more developed than it is today, and it also possess the miracles of Satan. But Jesus will, will require just a single weapon, the sword of his mouth. The word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, and with his spoken world, the battle will be over as quickly as it starts. And so ends Antichrist. And Satan will be locked up for a thousand years during the millennium. And then after that, he is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Never, ever, ever to be heard from again. Hallelujah. The Antichrist is going to come and he will give the unsaved a number. People will be no more than a, a number to him. But Jesus, he gives his own a name. And he calls you by name. And he calls you by name. And he calls you by name. And he says, come to me. 
Come to me, the spirit and the bride say, come. And the world needs to be ready. The world needs to be ready for the rapture. It's, I'm not, I can't provide a date for it, and I won't. I won't even try. Because nobody knows except the Lord. What does that mean? We better be on our spiritual toes. We need to be ready. We need to know we belong to Jesus. Otherwise, we're faced with a long, long time of incredible trouble here on earth. So the key thing is make sure, make sure that you belong to Jesus, simply coming before him by faith, trusting that he's the one that came to save you from your sin. And he's saying, believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth. Words mean something, and they mean something to God. But he also knows empty words from sincere words, doesn't he? Because he knows where they're coming from. They're just coming from this thing called a mouth or originating in the heart, and that's what he wants. So believing in the one that God has sent to redeem us from our sin. And God has done all the hard work. He's just asking us to trust him through this. Trust him in this life, that he's a good God, he's a savior, and that Jesus went to the cross and laid down his life and paid a price you and I could never pay. He's just calling on sinful man just to trust me, trust me, trust me. I only have great plans for you. And when you think about God's plans for us, they're, they're always good because God cannot do evil. And if he cannot do evil, that means his plans are all good. Simply trust in him. Give your life to him. Receive him into your heart as Lord and Savior and allow him to have his way in your life. And when we surrender, when we allow him to be the Lord, master, ruler of our lives, great things happen. We have a blessed hope. We have assurance. We have a certainty of our, our, our salvation, don't we? And we know that Jesus, when he comes back, we're going with him. Father, we thank you for the promises in your word. And we think about Ahab and his destruction because he refused to obey the truth and listen to the truth. And what a picture that is of, of man, fallen man, in the days that we're living in now. So many refusing the truth. So many that have, are denying the Savior. So many that are denying you, God, and replacing you with so many other things. And we see the result of that before us. We see suffering and pain and hatred and lawlessness, wars, all the things that Jesus said would take place. We're in the middle of them now. But we're not worried. We're not fretting. We're not fearful. We're trusting. And help us to trust even more. And when our faith becomes weak, if we begin to doubt, I think of the words of the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. And Father, we have a part in that too, for faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So stir within each of us a desire, perhaps at this, this new year, this is what we, we mark as a new year, 
Lord, perhaps it's a new beginning for us to start afresh. Recommit our hearts to you. Recommit our, 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 our hearts to study your word and to be in your word and to walk in your word, to live in your word and to share your word. Help us to do that, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.